Before I begin this episode of the Orthodox Conundrum, I'd like to ask listeners to keep Yosef Azrael ben Chaya Michal in their minds, in their prayers, perhaps say some Tehillim for him. He is a teenager, 15 years old, the son of friends and neighbors who was very, very badly hurt during the tragedy in Meron last Thursday. Today on the podcast, Shoshana Keats, Jaskal, and I will be talking about what happened in Meron. It's very early to talk about it, but I think an accounting must be made. That doesn't change the fact that people are in great pain, that people are hurting, families are bereaved, others are praying, desperately hoping that people will survive. All of us should keep that in mind and remember that despite everything else that we talk about, ultimately 45 lives were lost and we mourn for every single one of them. And for those who are hurt, please keep them in your tefillot. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn, and before we begin today's show, I want to say that we're going to talk about the terrible tragedy that just occurred in Meron last Thursday night on Lagba Omer. Some people may well think it's too soon when funerals are still going on. Many critically injured are still in the hospital, and I understand that and respect that. And if you do feel that way, and if this is going to trigger you, please listen at a later time or not at all. The reason that we're doing this today, regardless is that the acute nature of this tragedy, the fact that so many of us are feeling it so deeply because it was so recent, means that if we want to affect change, if we want to decide and determine what needs to change, if we want to outline problems and discover solutions, we need to do so before we assimilate this into our experience and our mindset and then just move on. This was not an act of God, which we couldn't anticipate. This happened because of human error And it will happen again unless something serious changes, unless attitudes change, and unless accountability actually means something. So to discuss this today, I'm here with Shoshana Kees-Jaskol, a well-known activist with whom I work on the Chochmat Nashim podcast. So welcome, Shoshana. Hey, Scott. Thanks. I'm going to throw the ball to you in just one second. I think all of us are going back and forth between deep sadness and acute fury. I think that's an accurate way to say that. We're not going to get to everything. There's too much to talk about. But I want to start off talking about accountability and responsibility. I'll tell you what I mean by that. There are well-known politicians who openly pushed against the Ministry of Health guidelines and recommendations that the festivities at Meron this year, because of COVID, be limited to 9,000 people, and presumably they also need to have certificates that they were vaccinated. Among the most vocal was Minister Aryeh Derry, the Interior Minister from Shas. He made it very clear in an interview right before Lagba Omer that he would not allow any limitations that he was the one pushing for he's anyone. He's the hero. He's, the, he's hero. the hero. Anyone who wants to go. If you want to know who's irresponsible, he's taking responsibility. And other people before the tragedy came out and said, it's because of Arya Derry. And I'm sure there were other ones who worked with him, other politicians. Now, what does this mean, Shoshana? What do you think it means? Is there going to be any accountability? Because I'll tell you the truth, I don't think there's going to be any accountability because that's the way the system is over here. <sighs> okay. I don't even know how to start other than to say, I'm so angry. I'm so angry because there are dead kids and there are mothers who are mourning their children and have lost their husbands and fathers who are burying their child who was standing next to them. And my anger comes from the fact that this, as you said, Scott, was utterly unnecessary. It's true that accidents happen. Accidents happen all the time. And, and, 
part of being human is recognizing that accidents can happen. What is our responsibility to prevent it as much as we can? And Mehron has been known as a complete, as complete anarchy for years. Totally. I, I have not allowed my children to go. I have asked my husband not to go and he's on Ichur Atzala, So he's, you know, he had the opportunity even just to staff it. And I've said to him, if they don't need you, please don't go. It's just a nightmare. The human proportions are too much for the space. If anyone has not been to Meron, look at an image of the area. You can't have 100,000 people there. You simply cannot. And let's note that most years, it's actually way more than 100,000. This year was small. Usually it's a quarter of a million, some say up to half a million. It's literally a miracle that this hasn't happened before. It's not that, who knows I mean, what happened. Happen 100 it, years, unav- it has happened. Nahon, nahon. 100 but, years ago, 11 people died there. Yes, because you, you're crowded and you're excited and, and it's fever pitch and, and people are not used to being in a small space, very, very crowded. There's, there's building structure. Like in, in this country, unfortunately, we only learn after people are dead. Yep. Okay, and, and it kills me to say that I love my country. We do some things amazingly, but there's certain things that we only. Hey, you ever said that when you remember the Versailles wedding, uh, the wedding yes. hall, when that entire floor came crashing Collapsing, down? Collapsing, correct. And oh, I think 20, if I remember correctly, I didn't look it up, but I think 23 or pe- people died at a wedding because it wasn't up to code. And from then they changed and they made sure the buildings were up to code. But why does it take a tragedy when this was a clear and we have we have articles and tweets, people talk about this specific exit from the Toldos Aron area where they have their lighting ceremony on the way out. And you can see there are there are demonstrations that will show you how this went down. But it's a 90 degree angle. It's a slippery thing. And then it's downstairs and everybody knew this place is a potential death trap. I mean, it's said there are words. It's written down. And so the idea that this couldn't have been prevented is not true. And that's why I'm here today. Right. I'm not here today because I want to, God forbid, hurt anyone who's mourning because I want to prevent the next one. And this is for me so important. Please. Please, if you are listening and you have to do anything whatsoever, planning and building and coding and safety, whether it's COVID safety or whether it's building safety, you have to take it seriously. You cannot rely on miracles. There was no reason for these people to die. I'm sorry. There just wasn't. And I know afterwards people comfort themselves and they say it was Hashem's will and the Rashbi wanted them. You cannot allow that. Right, of course not. I'm going to read you something which I'm looking at right now on the Times of Israel headlines, that the head of United Torah Judaism, Moshe Gaffney, he told Khan Bet Radio that the Mount Meron site looks like Eastern Asia. The place hasn't been touched since the establishment of the state. He adds, you can't have too many people come to such a small space and not have a disaster. Now, he also talked about this four years ago in an interview. He said, I watched it today, an interview on the Knesset channel saying something, or it wasn't even an interview. I think he was actually at the podium in the Knesset. And he said something like, if this were a secular site, they'd have all the money they need. But we can't get the money we need. Fine. Let's leave aside whether or not that's accurate because I have no idea. But I want to ask him this, and maybe I just don't know what he said, but why didn't he say, therefore, people shouldn't go? There you go. Why didn't he say, it's dangerous, it's not fair, but because I care about human life, don't go? I haven't heard that. Maybe someone said that, someone who understands the infrastructure situation, but I don't hear it. I want to mention something else also. Some people might say that someone like Aryeh Derry, who said, I'm going to go and buck the restrictions, they would argue, well, that's because these were COVID restrictions and they're too strict for whatever. I want to point out something. I watched, I don't know if you watched this, Shoshana, on Netflix, the documentary about the Challenger disaster, the space shuttle that blew up in 1986. Mm. 
part of that documentary is talking about all the things that could have been prevented had people looked at them in advance. And obviously there was some accountability afterwards, probably not enough. But people took it seriously, as you said, way too late after it already had blown up in the sky, 73 seconds after takeoff. But part of the problem is this. It's not like they knew that this exact thing would happen at this exact moment. There was a problem. And by flouting the regulations and being pushed by politicians and financial considerations to go up anyway, therefore, something happened. You can't say, oh, I thought a different thing would happen and therefore I'm not responsible for this. Mm. Once you knew there was a problem, to allow it to happen anyway is a big mistake. So I don't want anybody saying, at least in my opinion, that, well, yes, they knew there was a problem, but Arya Derry thought the problem was COVID and that's not the problem, so therefore he shouldn't be held responsible. Of course he should be held responsible. The Ministry of Health, for its own reason, said no more than 9,000 people. He said, we're going to do it anyway. Is but, he being, but he's not going to be held responsible. You know that as well as I am. I can only tell you this. If we don't hold Derry responsible... And not just Derry, by the way. I don't want him to be the fall guy because there are so many people who well, are he wrong be. here. There are so many, meaning, uh, yes, I want him to be held accountable. And yes, he pushed it forward. But I think I think people who are listening and maybe some of you guys are Americans, I think it's really important. You know, we, we love Israel and, and I'll repeat it and repeat it. I live here. <laughs> okay. And I want to live here, but I also want it to be the best it can be. And that means understanding where we go wrong. The reason that the Haredi politicians have so much power to the point where an event like this can occur despite all the reasons it shouldn't occur is because Bibi does not want to give away his power, his coalition, and they support him. That is fact. I agree that's fact. That's not the only problem, though. I think it's also endemic in the situation in the system. Let me give you an example. The police don't want to have to fight because forget how much power the political parties have, regardless. Mm. Let's talk about Ramat Beit Bet, near where you and I live. Let's do. They are not represented by the Haredi parties because most of them, or at least a large community of them, don't even vote. This is not that group. It doesn't matter. The point is, police know that if they start imposing restrictions that certain groups, I don't mean all Haredi, of course, but certain groups don't want, they will riot. Let's say, for example, Mehron had been closed. Mm. There would have been a massive riot. There would, it would have been terrible. Yeah. And therefore, well, the Jerusalem, Bnei Brak, of course, uh, of course. Shemesh, absolutely. And the police therefore say it's better to just hope for the best and avoid. Well, you a know definite... what that's called? That's giving into bullies. Of course it is, but that... it means. It, but you know what they say? We don't have enough manpower for this. We don't have enough energy for this. We don't have enough money for this. Better to you know, in, in Gemara. There's a concept called bari v'shema, bari adif. Something that's definite and something that's a possible. The definite claim takes precedence. What that means over here is if they close Mayron, for example, there will definitely be a riot. If they don't, there may or may not be loss of life. So let's go with the definite and avoid the riot altogether because we know that will for sure happen. That's the mindset. I'm not saying they're learning Gemara in the police, but that's yeah. sort of the way, that's clearly the way it's they been thinking be. about. You know, one time, Shoshana, I went to a rally or a riot really it was in Bet maybe seven or eight years ago. I don't remember what they were protesting. I wanted to see it. And it was some crazy protest in the craziest part of Ramat Beit Shemesh Bet with people from the Tori Karta. Why did you go? Well, that was what the police asked me afterwards. <laughs> I went there and I wanted to see what's going on because they were throwing rocks at the cars. And I kind uh -huh. of wanted to record it for posterity. I got in there and I started with my phone recording it. Then I got surrounded by a group. Mm -hmm. It wasn't dangerous, but the police kind of fished me out. But at one point, someone threw a rock at me. So I then picked up the rock and said, you know, I'm going to the police station tomorrow and reporting this because it has to be on the record. And guess what the police said to me? What do you want me to do? That was the second thing they said. 
The first thing they said was, <laughs> why, why were you there? Why were you there? What were you trying to do? Like, what, what, why are you doing this? In other words, they'd rather let them riot, let them do their thing, let them throw rocks as long as they don't break any windows. Let's just hope for the best. Mm. What were you doing there? That's the problem. It's not just Haredi parties. And I think Haredi parties are terrible. I've been very vocal about that. But at the same time, it's also the culture in Israel that we have to let them do what they want because, and again, I don't mean all Haredi. I'm talking about extremists. We have to let extremists do what they want because... Otherwise, consequences will be even worse than if we don't try to stop them. I, I, I hear you. I kind of agree with you, and I'll, I'll even take it further. As you said, in Beit Shemesh, we see this, unfortunately, too often, where the police don't want to handle it. And that's because the extremists have created a culture where they will, I mean, you know, it's like a show, it's like a, a chauffeur sounding and then everyone comes out and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're screaming and, and they call the police Nazis and they throw rocks at the cops. I mean, this is what happens, right? So we have allowed, and I, don't, I, say, I say we, even though it's not me, but mm-hmm. the, the, the state has allowed a sense of lawlessness within this community. And they know that if they riot, they know that the police are not going to come or cannot handle it or whatnot. And that's why all those years ago in a wrote, the only way we stop them from harassing the girls is international news. So embarrassing that the government had to move and they brought in Magav. Magav is the uh, the riot police. Well, Magav isn't the riot police, but they also brought in the riot police. And they brought in the big, biggest guys that we have who stood there in front of the girls' school to keep them away. And that was the only thing that worked because they kept coming. And when you allow extremists to do this, and Scott, there are, are, are videos from Erev Lagba Omer where the police are trying to set up barricades and they're being screamed at. So already on Harmeron, before this tragedy happens, the people who are trying to keep them safe are being called Nazis. And unfortunately, even after that, when the IDF came to help with the body clearing, literally attacked the female soldiers who came to help. Right. So on the one hand, we're talking about an absolute tragedy an absolute tragedy on the other hand we are not talking about and we have to talk about the issues that we have here where you have extremists who are able to do what they want to behave like absolute behemoths if i'm going to use yiddish absolute animals with no consequences right that actually relates to a different issue which is that as you mentioned they call the security services Nazis, and they say it's anti-Semitism uh-huh. to impose any sort of security or safety measures whatsoever, which leads to the problem that, and this isn't just a problem in the extreme Haredi world, it's actually in some ways a problem I think throughout Israel at times, which is that safety and security are not necessarily seen as high-ranking values. There are situations where, I don't know if we're talking about seatbelts, I don't know if we're talking about speeding, mm. there are all sorts of things that are part of, yes, Haredi culture, Kids but in also- car seats. Yeah, of course. How many people I've had to yell and scream to get your kid in car seat? Exactly. You know, the value of safety and security is seen as yebiseder. Yebiseder will be fine. We don't have to worry about it. It's fine. This is an attitude which is prevalent. And now we see the consequences of it. Or as you mentioned, the Versailles wedding hall. When the Versailles wedding hall collapsed, no one foresaw it unless you'd been paying attention to code violations, in which case it was obvious something was eventually going to happen. What do you think about that? Do you think that's an endemic problem? Because I do. I think that, yes, there is a Yehiyah Beseder. You know, everyone says that the Israelis are so Yehiyah Beseder. Especially in COVID. Um, I don't know. We had really... In the Haredi community? Oh, for in sure. the Haredi community, Or I should yeah. say the Hasidic community in particular. Yeah, the Hasid. right. I think, I think it's a... But, okay, but I think it's a combination of Yehiyah Beseder. Also, it was their entire life that was being upended. Let's also be fair in the sense of like when you have 12 or 16 people in one apartment... 
your whole life revolves around davening three times a day and going to to cheder and going to yeshiva. So it's it's a lot different than you and me who are confined to our you know homes with yards and and our work at home and stuff like that. So I think I think yes, I do agree with you that there was a horrific lack of compliance when it came to COVID and a lot of if it's meant to be, and that's what scares me with this. Do you really this hear people saying if it was meant me. to be, really? Yes. You've heard that? Yes. And this, yeah, 100%. If they were meant to die, then they were meant to die. Uh, See, absolutely. I saw someone write that on my group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group. Only one person said it, and everyone sort of came. I realized that group is, I, of course, of course, but I know everyone in my group is not representative Correct. of all of Israeli society, but right, right. that was the only place I saw anyone actually say that. I think, but I think it's, I think it's a comfort for people when you've lost someone to say it was the holiest day, oh, and it's in the Kabbalah. You must have heard this. Oh, you haven't heard this? No, of course I heard that, but you realize that's a mistranslation anyway. Forget even. Oh, if you... I don't know. I, I don't read Kabbalah, but I'm telling you that at least three people have told me it's written in the Zohar that 45 people are going to die in, in the Rashbi's cave. Let me make that clear because someone posted an explanation of what the actual source says, which is that something in the past where Rav Hamnuna was doing something and some Roman soldiers were trying to prevent them. So 45 Roman soldiers were killed so he could do it. It, it was, so if you're comparing them to anybody, you're comparing them to non-Jewish enemy soldiers at the time. So be careful for what you wish for in this case. Trust me, I, I believe I believe your knowledge of the Zohar far more than most people's knowledge I'm, of the Zohar. I'm simply reading what someone wrote. It was a post saying, please stop saying this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> please stop that's, saying this. That's nice. <laughs> in terms of accountability, a dream of the day that Israel really truly and the jewish community really truly learns from tragedy not to mourn and to this and to that ella to really put in changes and prevent the next tragedy that's why i'm here speaking that's why i'm not being quiet that's why i'm not you know i i just i can't anymore with the being good after the fact like i i appreciate and i really really do and i, I want to mention it that the Arab and Druze communities around Har Meron and the north were amazing and they brought out food and drinks and they opened their homes. The mayors of the local cities offered shelter to anyone who could not get off because the mountain was literally tens of thousands of people on the mountain and it was closed. It was a closed site. They closed it off. Plus, there were three hour lines in Tel Aviv to donate blood. Yeah, and they said, please stop coming. We have all the blood we need. And, and I know that there was a chosel before. There was a lack of blood before because I remember reading it in the paper. So, so imagine now how three hours people wait on and the Tel Aviv is not known to be Hasidic, okay? Right. And Israel is amazing at coming together after a tragedy. I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want to see that anymore. I want to see us be amazing at preventing tragedy, at being smart, at using our intelligence to say, wait a minute, this is a potential problem. Because nefesh from the beginning. I don't understand. So let me give you a positive note. Let me give you something positive, which I heard. And obviously, I'm not trying to say something positive came out of this. That's not what I mean. First, let me back up by explaining one thing about what I said before. If you ask me who I blame, and I don't know who particularly is to blame other than Arya Derry, who's very clearly to blame. Leaving that aside... I don't blame the Haredi street at all. I blame two groups within the Haredi community, and there might be people outside the Haredi community. I'm talking about the Haredi community now because this is the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. I blame the extremists, the Hasidish extremists in groups that do whatever the heck they want and don't care about anything. I don't believe that's the Haredi street at all. I think the vast majority of Haredim on the street who live in regular normal communities like Ramat Beit Shemesh Aleph and like Harnof and all the other fine, wonderful communities where Haredim live, they are law-abiding, fine citizens, and this is not directed to them. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me that I'm bashing Haredim. Not at all. I'm bashing extremists in these Hasidish communities who are doing whatever in the world they want and don't care. And I'm also 
disgusted by the Haredi politicians mm -hmm. who give in to the extremists and who lead their people into disaster like this. People like Moshe Gafni, people like Aryeh Derry. I don't know in this particular case if Moshe Gafni had anything to do with it, but he sounded the alarm about not having enough infrastructure, but didn't tell people, therefore, don't go. You have a megaphone. Why not use it? Unless I'm mistaken and he said something, but I don't remember hearing that. I think someone would have said so by now. In terms of the Haredi Street, though, I heard just now on Times of Israel, they have a podcast, a daily podcast, and uh, one of the reporters is Chaviv Redigur. And he said, apparently, in the Haredi press today, there's some very, very hopeful signs. The Haredi mainstream press, he's not talking about extreme organs, he's talking about the regular main papers and the regular magazines that the Haredi Street reads. And they're saying, where are the rabbis? What happened? How could this have happened? No more rabbis. No more, not saying no more rabbis in their lives, no more rabbis running situations like this. Why doesn't the state take over Meron and give it the proper pikuach, the proper oversight, instead of allowing extremist groups and our politicians to take over? So on a very positive note, let's note that the Haredi Street, if the press represents it, is seeing these problems too. And hopefully, hopefully, they might lead to some change, whatever that change might be. It's interesting you say that because I, I, I believe that also did happen after COVID itself when people were saying, what did our rabbis do to us? How could they not, you know, how could they tell us to keep going to school when this is what's happening? And I do wonder, Scott, how long it will take for that to translate into action because as you and I know, Derry's been in power, he was in jail and he's back in power. Right. Litzman, it, 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 good Lord, he, he broke his own uh, health regulations and he's still in power. He's not the health minister anymore, but he's still a, a minister. That's not why he's not. That's not why he's not. That's right. true. Point being that I wonder how long it will take to translate into something real where Halavai, I wish, like you said, the good, normal, average Haredi person were to realize that the politicians are not serving them. Because the, the idea of of allowing this to happen. And I know, and you can you can watch the Israeli shows, the news all over the place. They're interviewing this person and that person and, and the sikhsukhim, the arguing that was happening in the government and in the, you know, saying this is not okay. There's too many people back and forth and back and forth. And you're right. It was because of COVID, not because of necessarily safety regulations, but hello. They all work they, together. Come on. They, yes. And, 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 and they were looking and they said, you don't understand. When the organizations and the religious leaders and the politicians look at you and say, okay, if you want to limit it, who's going to take responsibility for it? Mm -hmm. And no one said yes, because because everyone was arguing against it. So you have 5,000 police people and 100,000 who are busing and busing and busing because, right. well, you know, it should have been the transportation ministry only gave 10 buses. And I'm not a politician and I'm not an event organizer, right. but I can even think of, of things to do that would stem the amount of people in, one, in the place at, at one time. There's so many things that could be done, but everybody passes the buck and everybody, in the end of the day, the pressure that was put on the safety regulators, they couldn't stand against them. They, right. could, they just could not. And I hope that you're right that we learn. I can only pray. I can only pray that the deaths of these people would lead to things that would positive and avoid so much more tragedy. That's the only thing that I'm holding on to. Well, I feel like a broken record. I say this all the time, and I'm sure listeners have heard me say this before, but... Step number one is stop thinking that just because it's a party that has the word Torah in its name makes it a Torah party. And as I've said before, I believe that religious people should not vote for Torah parties because they are a disservice to Torah, not a disservice to your own political ambitions or what you want to accomplish. That too, but in particular, if you care about Torah in Israel, if you care about Judaism in Israel, if you care about 
Lahagdil Torah Lahadira, to make Torah great and glorious. The best way to undermine that is by voting for a religious party, in my humble opinion. So, number one, stop voting for religious parties. <laughs> That's my personal political recommendation. And by the way, I, I don't, second that. I don't mean that we shouldn't have religious politicians. I think religious mm, politicians absolutely. are great. They can have religious policies in the other parties. Of course, having religious people in non-officially religious parties is a wonderful thing, which I support. Religious parties. Uh-uh. That's number one. Number two, and this is a much more difficult sell, the problem becomes the same thing, and excuse me, Lahavdil, that the Catholic Church has had. There's a book by Gary Wills called Papal Sin, where he goes through, and he's a uh, former seminarian in the Catholic Church. He himself is a, well, a well-known political writer, historical writer, and he's also written a lot about the Catholic Church and problems in it, even though he himself is a religious Catholic. A big problem that takes place in the Catholic Church is the fact that it, as an institution, believes that it can never be wrong. Oh, God. Well, I mean, that's that's the nature of it. It believes that the Holy Church itself is, it's it's an embodiment, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get into their theology because that's my, not, not my field. And it's not my place to say what their theology is. However, he reports that when you are part of an institution that can never be wrong, that can never do something that's incorrect, which can never sin, mm-hmm. then anytime that institution does something wrong, does something incorrect or sins, you have to point your fingers at somebody else and say it was somebody else's fault because we would never do that or say they're not really part of what we are. And this has happened. He even compares it. In one case, he says that the famous declaration that was put out during the papacy of Pope John Paul II about the Shoah, mm. it's called We Remember. He said, if you look at it carefully, it's like somebody climbing, this is his example, it's like somebody climbing up a mountain to beat his breast at the very top and to say, Vidui, to confess. And when he gets to the top, tears and having torn his garment, he points to somebody else and goes, he did it. And that's the problem. When you're never wrong, mm. when you're never wrong, then you can't change. And in too many of the extreme Hasidic courts, where the Rebbe is the divine oracle, where the Rebbe can never be wrong, this idea of Das Torah in its extreme form, that's what we have here. And that's why I don't know what's going to happen when Rebbe's steer us or steer their followers in the wrong way. Is there going to be an accounting? I highly doubt it. It's such a good question. I'm actually trying to picture this. Like, I'm trying to picture, okay, what's it going to look like for Derry or Gaffney or, you know, Rebbe of whatever to take accountability? And I'm I'm having a hard time picturing what that would actually look like and what that would actually mean. Because as you said, it's so easy to be like, well, they wanted to restrict the numbers because of COVID, not because of this. So really, that's nothing to do with it. And I can't imagine a bigger slap in the face of people who've died and the mourners who are left, widows, orphans, than for no one to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be like, if we're going to learn from a tragedy, it can't just be how to better make exits. It has to be how to take from the very, very beginning it's like Judaism is so careful, right? The halacha is so specific in the way that we do things. We are trained for this. We're trained to ask these questions. We're trained to, to look at all the little things. How are we not doing that when it comes to our safety and our country and our people? And, and if we don't take responsibility, that is the least Jewish thing I can think of. Well, I don't really agree with you about one particular point. I don't want someone to take responsibility. I want a lot of people to take responsibility yes. because this if it lands on one person's lap, okay, it lands on his lap, you fire him, you do whatever you no, do with I that. No, I agree and with you. That, it's not about that. It's about saying there is 
a failure among many people, and I hope they all, I mean, they won't, but I hope they all start taking responsibility, or perhaps, if Javier Redigor is correct, people start assigning responsibility to them and have fingers pointed at them correctly. It's a systemic problem. It's systemic. Exactly. Yes, and I think our system, that's what I'm saying, our system of only being good after a tragedy, that's what I want to fix. Right. Well, let's talk about one more thing. We don't have that much time left, but you and I were discussing before we went on the air about how holy spaces have their own Mm. rules. Holy space. What does that mean? Tell me what you mean by that. Uh, well, it really goes back to the times of the Ottomans. You know, a lot of our um, laws nowadays are kind of holdovers from the Ottoman Empire, if you can believe it or not. That's why all the religions have their own religious courts, etc. Um, and holy spaces here have their own <laughs> set of status. laws. Special yeah, they status. have a special status, exactly. And so they're not really... Um, they're not really um, under the jurisdiction of the state in the standard way the same correct. way that a, not, they a public park the, would be exactly so Lahavdil, I can just tell you that the, the gorgeous cemetery in Sfat that I'm sure many of you listeners have been to maybe you remember it from when I remember it I'm I a remember, Cohen, so no okay my dad's going too but <laughs> Um, so the cemetery was such that anyone could go in and touch a kever and say tehillim and, and, and really just like be with the, with the Rav Yosef Karo or the Holy Ari. Uh, you can go to the Ari Mikvah. It was in a cave. I mean, men and women, obviously not together, but you know, whatever. I mean, I remember this and I went recently a few years ago and there's now a complete segregation of men and women in a cemetery. Hmm. And there is a, um, like the men of course can I literally saw a man prostrate over one of the graves, a risk of car, someone was laying on it, and I was supposed to be behind a wall, like literally behind the wall, like I can't even see the kever. I'm like, um, no. But obviously, uh, I, I went and I spoke to some lawyers and I said, w- how is this legal? Right. So it's actually a problem because in Israel, you can't discriminate and you can't segregate things that are not a shul, for example. But this falls into this really weird space where it's not a shul, but it's not a regular cemetery because it's considered a holy space. And while this is an issue of segregation of men and women and whatnot, you still, what happens with things like Meron, where they're either a holy status or maybe like there are four different organizations, for example, four different nonprofits that claim that they own different parts of the mountain. And so you have not one body that is over this site and will be the chief person negotiating with the government about these things, but you have at least four, if not five, different heads of organizations they all have their own interests they all have their own things that they want and have you ever been in a room of screaming israelis and trying to get something done so like on top of everything else you have this well it's not really my jurisdiction it's kind of my jurisdiction and but 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 we're a holy place and you can't make us do these things and so and while that's not supposed to carry over into safety it does when someone is saying this isn't your space and you have professionals who are meant to be making these decisions who are being shut down by people who have no idea of what can or can't be done in a space safely. And that's wrong. And, and I hold the government responsible for allowing that garbage to take place. Okay, Shoshana, last question. Mm. What happens next? We're talking right now, but talk is cheap. You know, we're saying, oh, you see, we have to strike while the iron is hot. But we're not striking. We're just talking. What should people actually do? It's a really good question, Scott. You know, I think, I think there's, a, there's the micro and the micro. So I would say on the micro level like this. If you as a parent or as a human being yourself feel like maybe this isn't safe or smart or, or maybe this isn't in my interest, don't go. I mean, it's the most basic information I can give you. Don't go. Okay? Listen to your gut. Recognize that not, unfortunately, not everything is run the way it's supposed to be run. That's the most basic. Okay? 
And when you yourself, if whether it's a shul event or it's a concert or it's a whatever, a school event, whatever it is, please make sure that people are crossing T's and dotting I's because, because it matters, because these things matter. On a macro level, it's I like would they say, say there's no rewind button in real life. Oh, yeah. Once it happens, you can't go back. 100%. You can't go back. There's no uh, TiVo. On a macro level, I would say like this. Wherever you are, demands accountability. If you are an Israeli, don't vote for these parties, number one. Number two, I do wonder if we should really be protesting, if we should have a massive protest and demand. And I'm not just talking about, like you said, not you know off with their heads, which would be one thing. But on another, no, seriously, like this can't happen again. Start right this second, right now. Every single space, every single event must be I want everyone, all the plans opened up. Everything. Start looking at everything from Meron to whatever it is. And by the way, Uman too. I have heard in Uman that there's terrible crushes. I've never been. Um, and and I, you know, that's the Ukrainian government, whatever. But if you're sending people over there, you have a responsibility. If you're organizing tours, if you have a school, you have no business bringing kids to Meron. I'm sorry. I was livid, livid when I found out that my cousin's kids were there. I would have told them 100% do not go. Whether they would have listened to me, I don't know. But schools are bussing people into these situations where if you, again, you have to know it's not safe. You can't fit 100,000 people on a mountain for 10,000 people and not expect that something, God forbid, is going to happen. Okay, Trishana, but in fairness, I'm not going to go where you're going because I'm not going to blame schools or other groups for sending kids to Mayron or to Uman for that matter. Yes, in the future... We have learned a very painful lesson, and we learned it in a very painful way. Yes, it's very crowded. I don't think people knew. In fact, I'm sure that people didn't know that it was dangerously crowded. You say, how could there be room for 100,000 people on a mountain designed for 10,000 people? I don't think people knew that it was designed for 10,000 people. In the future, we learned this lesson that, yes, we have to cross every T and dot every I and check out the specs. But right now, I think that we can't blame those schools. I just don't agree with you on that particular point. I just want to say that whatever you can do in what in your life to take responsibility, accountability, and demand accountability, please demand accountability from your communal leaders, from your school leaders, from your politicians. Demand accountability and don't let it go by by saying it's God's will, it's God's will, it's God's will. It just, no, God's will is that we do our jobs. And I'll just add, along with all of that which you just said, remember when politicians act like they're our leaders and therefore Particularly in the Orthodox world, we have a structure where authority is respected and listened to. We have rabbis, we have leaders, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with respecting authority. It's a good thing to respect authorities when those authorities deserve our respect and have earned our respect. However, just because somebody says he is your authority does not make him your authority. For example, the head of the Shas party, who's currently Aryeh Derry, the fact that he is the head of that party does not make him the de facto head of all religious Sephardim in Israel. The same is true for any political party or, frankly, for any rabbi. Just because somebody tells you he's your authority does not obligate you to accept that as well. Yes, I'm well aware that there are exceptions to this. If there were a Sanhedrin, then, of course, this would not apply. If there is a community rabbi, for example, a rabbi who is actually the official rabbi of a community accepted by the community, there is an idea of following the rulings of that particular rabbi. This is all true. However, that really is not the point I'm trying to make right now. I'm talking about when certain people tell us they're our authorities without our acceptance. You don't have to follow the herd in all these situations. I think, Scott, you're actually bringing up a really good point that is, I, I want to reiterate. And I want to expand. If you're religious and you feel an obligation 
to support religion in Israel. Like Scott said before, doing so doesn't mean voting for the religious parties. Please try and separate in your mind religious parties from religion because unfortunately it's just not the way it works here. It's just not the way it works. And I know you may feel like you want to identify and you want to be supportive of, but I'm begging you, please, please realize that by voting for another party does not mean that you're not supporting religion in Israel or religious people in Israel. It I think it means you are. Well, Scott says, Scott says you are, that you have it. So <laughs> you can ask us off the record who to vote for. You know what? I really don't want to pretend that my opinion matters more than anybody else's because it truly, truly does not. I'm just lucky enough to happen to have a microphone, as do you, Shoshana. So I want to use this moment to say, listen to what we're saying, take an accounting, and decide whether you agree or disagree. That's fine. Disagree with us. Think that we're completely wrong. Think that I'm wrong. Think that Shoshana's wrong. Neither of us are wrong. Both of us are wrong. It doesn't matter. But use this moment wisely. Don't let it pass without making an accounting. This moment, as we said at the beginning, which yes. is a combination of sadness and fury, don't let it pass without an accounting, at least for yourself, of how do we run our lives? And even something as simple as, do I wear seatbelts? Am mm. I careful about car seats? Am I careful about speeding? Do I tailgate? There's so many different things that we do with no rewind button. Take responsibility. Don't follow the herd. Decide what's right and go with it. And if you need to ask an authority, that's fine. But choose your authority wisely. It says in the Mishnah, Aseh L'charav. They don't, it doesn't say they choose your of. You choose your of. Choose your authority carefully. And then if that authority works for you, go with it. Don't let them tell you who your authority is. Okay, Shoshana, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Scott. And I appreciate you allowing me to speak with you about this. I know that it was a hard decision given how many people are still hurting. I mean, we're all hurting, but I, I think it had to be done. Okay, thanks for joining me. Remember to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com for lots of great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chuchmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. You can also find my blog, The Scott Conversation, there. Please also share this podcast so we can get the word out about the Orthodox conundrum to an even bigger audience. And please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron by going to our Patreon page. The link is in the description of this podcast. For a small monthly donation, you decide how much or how little. You can get extra episodes, articles, merch, and more, while also supporting our work. So please check it out today. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. <laughs>